Okay, good morning. Thank you for your attendance. Uh, this presentation is on Imtala, what you need to know. My name is Andy Nugent. I'm the interim head of emergency medicine here at the University of Iowa. Helping with me with this presentation are Debbie Toman, the assistant VP of compliance for the University of Iowa, and Brian White, who is the legal counsel uh, for UIHC. So first off, what is it? EMTALA is the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. It was part of the Congressional Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act of 1986. This is why sometimes you'll hear it called COBRA law. And what EMTALA does is it governs when and how a patient must be examined and either offered treatment or transferred from one hospital to another. It came about because there were several hospitals in the 80s that were using a patient's ability to pay uh, as a means of discriminating against them when they came to the emergency department and not offer treatment. So why should you care? Imtala applies to all participating hospitals under Medicare. This is any hospital that accepts Medicare or Me Medicaid payments. Uh, it's not just for emergency department patients, it's for any patient that presents to the hospital seeking care, and it's not just for Medicare patients. It applies to any patient, regardless of payer status uh, or any other kind of uh, way of classifying them. So the purpose of the law, as I kind of uh, described a minute ago, is that it's known as the anti-dumping law. It's to prevent discrimination against anybody, uh, whether they can pay or not. Uh, it prevents hospitals from transferring patients to charity hospitals for payment reasons. Uh, it also governs uh, how patients must be seen when they come to the emergency department itself. The Intel statute applies to any person who presents to the emergency department requesting evaluation. Interestingly enough, it would also apply to any other part of the hospital where the patient uh, would present uh, requesting emergency care. The hospital must provide medical screening exam. I'll explain what that is in just a moment. The hospital is required to offer treatment until the patient is stable or transfer according to Intel law. So what does coming to the ED mean? This has gone, undergone significant alteration over the years. As you may have remembered, a few years ago in Chicago, there was a young man that was shot and laid in the parking lot of the emergency department. The emergency department staff had been instructed not to go outside the doors. The federal government did not think that this was an appropriate interpretation of Intel law, and they redefined the law as anywhere within 250 yards of the hospital campus. Uh, Requesting emergency services does not actually have to be vocal. Dropping a patient off in the parking lot also counts as requesting emergency services. What is a medical screening exam? Well, first off, all patients must be provided an appropriate medical screening exam when they present to the emergency department or any other area of the hospital requesting emergency care. The medical screening exam is to determine whether or not an emergency medical condition exists. Triage is not a medical screening exam. Triage merely determines the order or priority of the medical screening exam by qualified personnel. Medical screening exam is a process. It may involve several steps that include testing, procedures, and consultation, whatever is needed to determine whether or not an emergency medical condition exists. CMS only cares whether or not the medical screening exam is appropriate. They don't always care whether it was done correctly. Standard can't vary depending on who does it. So you can't have a physician doing it one day in a very different way from what the nurse practitioner is doing it the next day or having a nurse do it the third day. And when you're audited and they bring the uh, IDIA around 
to examine how you do things, the appropriateness of the medical screening exam will be determined after the fact. So they don't uh, tell you that you have appropriate standards and protocols before something happens. They look at after something happens to determine whether you did something correctly, if that makes any sense. An appropriate medical screening exam is based on presenting signs and symptoms, reasonably calculated to determine whether or not an emergency medical condition exists. This must occur without delay to inquire about, inquire about payment. So you cannot ask patients whether they have an insurance payer or whether, how they're intending to pay for anything before you do the medical screening exam. The exam must not vary based on your ability to pay, whether you have a disability, what the diagnosis might be, what your gender uh, or race might be, et cetera. The determination whether or not an emergency medical condition exists is made by the examining physician or otherwise designated qualified medical personnel of the hospital. This is a very important concept. I'm going to come back to this several times during this talk. MTALA is very clear that the bedside physician doing the exam gets to determine whether or not the patient has an emergency medical condition. And this has important ramifications uh, further down the line for how we transfer patients and how we consult other physicians. So what is an emergency medical condition? A medical condition manifesting itself by acute symptoms of sufficient severity such that the absence of medical attention could reasonably be expected to result in jeopardy to the patient's health, jeopardy to the unborn child, serious impairment to bodily functions, or serious dysfunction to any bodily organ. I must emphasize that federal government does not care if you are correct in determining whether or not an emergency medical condition exists. They will care whether or not you made an appropriate medical screening exam to determine whether an emergency medical condition exists. Some special caveats for pregnant women who are having contractions. That there's emergency medical condition exists if there's inadequate time to effect a safe transfer before delivery or that transfer may pose a threat to the health or safety of the woman or unborn child. If there's no emergency medical condition, the EMTALA obligation ends. So you could break it down this way. Patient presents to the emergency department. Is stabilization achieved? Yes, the EMTALA obligation ends. If no, the hospital has an obligation to treat within the capability and capacity of that hospital. If that means admission, the patient is admitted and EMTALA ends. If that means transfer, then they must affect appropriate transfer and the EMTALA obligation ends. Section 42 defines stabilization that no material deterioration of the condition is likely within reasonable medical probability to result from or occur during the transfer of the individual from the facility. Basically what this means is that you must be able to make a determination that the patient will not get worse if you send them out of your facility either as a transfer to another facility or a discharge from the emergency department itself. Transfer, the movement, including the discharge of an individual outside a hospital's facilities at the direction of any person employed by or affiliated with the hospital but does not include the movement of an individual who leaves the facility without the permission of any such individual. This is a lot of legal jargon that means that anybody, including the housekeeper, security, uh, a volunteer, if they tell a patient that they should leave the emergency department and go across town because it's shorter, they're actually uh, transferring the patient without a medical screening exam. Uh, a patient that leaves the emergency department or any other part of the hospital, even with an med uh, emergency medical condition, against medical advice, 
makes uh, the MCAL moot and it no longer applies. So who gets to determine stability? Like I said, I'm going to repeat this over and over again. The physician or qualified medical provider treating the individual in the ED or hospital. It's not a physician or a hospital that has not examined the patient. A couple more definitions before we go on. Capability means that there's physical space, equipment, supplies, and specialized services that the hospital provides. Capabilities of the staff of a facility mean that the level of care that the personnel of the hospital can provide within the training and scope of their professional licenses. This includes coverage available through the on-call roster. Capacity means the ability of the hospital to accommodate the individual requesting examination or treatment of the transferred patient. This encompasses such things as numbers and equipment and the hospital's past practices of accommodating additional patients in excess of its occupancy limits. MTAL also places responsibilities on recipient hospitals. Initially, the law did not apply to recipient hospitals, and a phenomenon known as reverse dumping occurred between 1986 and 1989. New updates in 1989 solved this problem. A participating hospital that has specialized facilities like the University of Iowa may not refuse to accept from a referring hospital within the boundaries of the U.S. an appropriate transfer for required such facilities. Basically what this means is that if a patient is in a hospital in Florida and that Florida hospital calls you to accept the patient for burn care because we have a specialized burn unit, we have to accept. We cannot turn down that request for a transfer within the boundaries of the United States. This applies to all Medicare participating hospitals whether or not they have an emergency department. What makes an appropriate transfer? Well, there is a list. First of all, this applies uh, to any patient coming from an outside hospital, a referring hospital, to the recipient hospital. The sending physician must minimize the risk of transfer. The transfer needs to be accepted by a physician, excuse me, must be accepted by the hospital uh, that's receiving the patient. Whether that is a physician or an administrator, it is entirely up to the hospital who they put in charge of that, but it must be accepted by the hospital. The patient must consent to the hospital, uh, to the transfer. Unconscious patients or patients that are un in, unable to give consent may be assumed to provide consent uh, by the physician transferring the patient. The benefits of the transfer must outweigh the risks of the transfer. If the patient is going to die en route uh, because of the transfer, then they should not go. If the patient will die regardless, if they don't go, then the risks outweigh the benefits. The benefits outweigh the risks. And using it, the transfer itself must use qualified personnel and equipment, such as ambulance or helicopter transport. Medical records must accompany the patient. Again, this is all determined by the sending physician, the level of support that is needed to transfer the patient to the, to the accepting hospital. Some other hospital requirements. The sending hospital must provide for appropriate transfer if the sending hospital does not have capacity or capability to stabilize the emergency medical condition. Notice they did not say anything about insurance status or managed care or any other form of payment. If the, out, if the hospital that is seeing the patient initially can care for the patient, then they should care for the patient. You cannot delay based on the ability to pay. So you cannot ask the patient whether or not they have insurance before you stabilize the emergency medical condition. The receiving hospital also cannot delay acceptance to verify financial information on an MTAL-related transfer. 
receiving hospitals must accept appropriate requests for transfer if their capacity and cap capability exceeds the transferring hospital. The receiving hospital cannot refuse even if another hospital with similar capacity and capability is geographically closer. You cannot delay the transfer while arguing any of this. And the receiving hospital must report any suspected violations of the TALA policy by the sending hospital. In our hospital, the University of Iowa, we have an entalerated policy uh, regarding the acceptance of transfers from outside facilities. Any physician with clinical uh, privileges at this hospital can accept a patient at transfer. This includes residents and PAs. Uh, refusal to accept the transfer of a patient that has an entalerated condition and in need of specialized services here at the UIHC must be made by the on-call faculty physician of the service to which admission is sought you cannot have a resident decline in entalo-related transfer for any reason. It is not in our policy. To keep ourselves updated with MTALA and to protect our residents and our staff, we have made the determination that all transfers to this hospital must go to the Admission Transfer Center to allow recording of the message and documentation of the transfer process itself. If you happen to receive a phone call outside of the Admission Transfer Center requesting transfer, this is the script you should use. Thank you for referring your patient to UI Healthcare. It is our pleasure to serve you. All admissions and transfers must go through our Admission Transfer Center to ensure we capture important patient information and to ensure bed availability. The Admission Transfer Center will reconnect you us as soon as they are done gathering the required information. Please hold while I transfer you. Correct way to transfer to the admission transfer center is to hit the transfer button and dial 45000. If this is not possible from the phone you're at or you're at home, take the patient's information, call the transfer center, and call them back. A couple other caveats just for providers. One section of MTALA imposes a penalty on a physician who fails to respond in a timely fashion when on call. The caveat to that, excuse me, a physician who signs a false certification for transfer can also be held liable under MTALA. Uh, as well as the hospital doing the transfer. A hospital found in any violation of MTALA can be fined up to $50,000 per violation. As, a physician, uh, as well, a physician who fails to appear after being called by an ER physician may subject himself and his hospital to the same penalty. More serious than that, a hospital provider may be in sole in violation that it may be subject to exclusion uh, from the Medicare program. Uh, this includes being put on the OIG exclusion list it basically makes you unemployable and your career in medicine will be over. This is a very severe penalty and it can be applied to residents, staff, uh, anybody who happens to uh, um, be an heir of MTALA and it's something that we should do to protect our residents at all time. We have a few uh, cases to go over that kind of demonstrate uh, what MTALA means. Uh, this will be a little bit quicker since we don't have a live audience for this particular presentation. Case one, a patient presents to the emergency department with a complaint of lower back pain. An emergency physician examines the patient and determines that cauticoin is a possibility and consults the spine surgeon on call. The service decides that they don't want to see the patient and refuse the consult. So part of on-call responsibility is that a hospital is required to maintain a list of on-call physicians. They need to maintain a list for every service that they provide to inpatient patients. You must have a name of an on-call physician. You cannot have it listed by service. 
consultants are required to evaluate and stabilize within a reasonable time frame. The necessity of consult and the definition of reasonable is entirely up to the ED provider at bedside. The consultant on the phone can negotiate with the ED provider. They cannot refuse the consult and they cannot refuse to come in in a reasonable time if the ED provider says that an emergency medical condition exists. Which of the following will not lead to an EMTALA violation for the on-call physician in hospital? Number one, on-call physician fails to appear within a reasonable time after request. Number two, on-call physician refuses to respond or appear. Number three, on-call physician typically directs that the individual be transferred to another hospital instead of making an appearance. Four, on-call physician does not meet obligation, but hospital arranges another physician in same specialty to timely assess and stabilize the individual. It's sort of a trick question because the physician is going to get a violation for all four of these scenarios. Only in scenario number four would the hospital be protected because it provided the service in a timely fashion. A couple of caveats. If you are the doctor on the list, you are on the doctor on call. CMS doesn't care if it's a mistake and your name is put on the list inappropriately. Academic centers may designate that residents or mid-levels act as a representative. But if the treating physician in the ED disagrees, the on-call staff is required to make an appearance and stabilize the emergency medical condition within a reasonable time frame. Case number two, a patient presents to the small rural hospital stating that he wants to blow his head off. The treating physician assistant calls the nearest hospital with inpatient psychiatric beds and talks to the resident on call. The resident knows the patient fairly well and decides he doesn't want to take the patient to transfer. In the case of psychiatric emergencies, any individual that expresses suicidal or homicidal thoughts or gestures and is determined dangerous to self or others would be considered to have an emergency medical condition. So the question, when are individuals with psychiatric emergency medical conditions considered stable according to MTALA? The correct answer is D, when they are no longer a threat to themselves or others as determined by a provider qualified to make that decision. Psychiatric patients are not considered stable when they are sedated so they won't hurt themselves in an ambulance ride or in the emergency department themselves. They are not considered stable when they're in the custody of law enforcement. And they are not considered stable when they are medically stable and clear for admission to psychiatric services. Under what circumstances can a psych hospital refuse to accept a patient with an unstabilized medical condition? Correct answer in this scenario is E, when they do not have the capability to protect the patient from self-harm. If a psychiatric hospital has capacity and capability to treat a patient, they must accept the patient and transfer from a hospital that does not have specialized psychiatric care. Case number three, a fairly large level two trauma center calls an academic tertiary center to transfer a patient with an acetabular fracture. The transferring physician states that his on-call doc has refused to see the patient and to transfer him immediately to the university. The accepting physician tells the transferring doc that his hospital should be able to handle the case and get back to me once your specialist has seen the patient. The accepting hospital also will not accept the transfer until they get the name of the on-call doc who didn't appear. So who will get dinged from Mentala in this scenario? Would it be the on-call physician who didn't show up, the transferring hospital, the accepting physician, or the accepting hospital? Well, everyone gets dinged. For obvious reasons, the transferring hospital is in trouble. They are transferring a patient they had the capability to treat and the capacity to treat in their hospital. The acceptance hospital is also in trouble for delaying the transfer. 
the accepting physician at the accepting hospital is in trouble for demanding that more work be done before accepting the, the transfer. Mandatory reporting. A hospital that suspects or any time has reason to believe it may have received an improperly transferred individual is required to promptly report the incident to CMS or the state agency within 72 hours of the occurrence. If a recipient hospital fails to report an improper transfer, the hospital may be subject to termination of its provider agreement. Uh, as a hospital that primarily accepts patients from outside, the University of Iowa uh, quite often will get transfers that may seem inappropriate. You may wonder what we're supposed to be doing about this. If a transfer is inappropriate, we are required by law to report these to CMS. Failure to report these will result in the same penalties being applied to us as if we had initially committed the, the violation ourselves. So who can you tell? At the University of Iowa, you can tell your program director, your chair or department administrator. You can email the hospital attorney or the uh, VP of compliance. That would be Brian White and Debbie Toman. You have other options. If you feel that uh, you are running into a roadblock here at the university and uh, you're afraid of having your identity known, you can call the Iowa Department of Inspections and Appeals, or you can call the CMS Kansas City Regional Office at these numbers located here. They will also investigate any potential MTALA violation. Mandatory reporting. Hospitals may not punish employees for reporting violations. The source of the complaint is not revealed in the investigation. Only CMS can determine if a violation has occurred. Blocking or censoring internal reports is forbidden. I must also say that when we investigate cases here at the University of Iowa, we very carefully go over the information and the audio tapes from the transfer to determine uh, if a violation may have occurred. If there's suspicion of a violation, we will forward that on to CMS in Kansas City. The policy at that point is to have the Iowa Department of Inspections and Appeals make an appearance at the hospital where the violation may have occurred, and they will do their investigation. As a courtesy, our hospital will almost always contact the CEO of the hospital with a potential violation. This is a courtesy that we expect to be extended to us as well. CMS investigates about 700 complaints annually, and about a third of those are found to be true violations of Intala. And this number has been going up over the last several years. I just want to add one more time that if you get a call outside of the Admission Transfer Center, this is the correct script that you should use. You should connect the, the transferring physician with the transfer center using the transfer button and dial 4 or 5,000. Please hold while I'll transfer you and they will get right back to you. This is, and you must emphasize that this is uh, being done for the patient safety and patient care. A couple of uh, Department of Emergency Medicine quirks. We do accept anything to the emergency department from any other emergency department except hand, burn, L&D, psych, and inpatients. Any of those patients can end up in the emergency department. They just need to be accepted by a physician from those services. Only faculty are allowed to turn down any request for a transfer. Residents should not be accepting transfers under any circumstances, but if they happen to be on the phone, they should accept an EMTALA-related transfer and the transfer center should make this very clear from the outset that this is an EMTALA mandated transfer. Beginning October 1st, all transfers will go through the admission and transfer center. This is so that all calls can be recorded and patient demographics can be obtained. Any transfer that leaves RED must have a faculty signature on the paperwork. There is a 
packet of information that must go along with any patient. It includes a transfer checklist. All checkboxes must be checked off. Signatures must be obtained prior to the patient leaving the emergency department. Please do not threaten any of our tardy consultants with intala violations. This is extremely unprofessional behavior and should be a, a last-ditch uh, effort to get someone in to see a patient. Do report any potential inappropriate transfers or lack of reasonable consultation to either myself, Brian White, or Debbie Tolman. That is our whirlwind uh, tour of the Imtala obligation. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact myself, Brian White, or Debbie Tolman, and thank you for your attention. <laughs>